If you could start making your way back to your seats this morning. And as you do, if you could open your Bibles to the first chapter of Colossians. Uh, while you get there, just let me introduce myself if we have any visitors here this morning. First off, we're glad that you're here with us. My name is Pastor Jesse. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, our lead pastor, Michael, is away on sabbatical for the next two months. Uh, so you'll be singing, thank you, Wesley. So you'll be seeing a lot of uh, me and Pastor Lance and Pastor Michael. Um, and Pastor Michael is on sabbatical. I can, yes. Uh, thanks. Pastor Michael, like I said, is on sabbatical. Um, because we know that rest is important, uh, and we care about that, and we care about Pastor Michael uh, and his family. So, um, yeah, so we're going to be uh, starting a series on the book of Colossians this morning. Um, our text this morning is Colossians 1, 1 through 14. If you wouldn't mind standing out of reverence for God's words while we read that. And also, too, I forgot to mention, if you wouldn't mind praying for me, I'm not feeling too well this morning, so forgive me if I'm, it's, I'm not preaching on hydration, I just need some tea and some water this morning. So if you would forgive me, but again, our text, this is what Paul records in Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day that you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. You learn this from Epaphras, our dearly loved faithful servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. Amen. That's good news. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray this morning. God, thank you for rescuing us, Lord. We thank you for Jesus, God. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word that we can open it. Lord, I just pray that you will um, hide me behind your glory. Lord, may I preach your word truthfully, carefully, and faithfully, Lord. Above all else, may you be glorified in this place for these next few minutes. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And like I said, we're starting in a, a, a new book here in Colossians. So just let me start by just giving you a little background on the Colossian uh, this letter particularly. So this is, one, this is one of the imprisonment epistles where Paul was in prison as he was writing to the Colossians. Uh, a little background on the Colossians as a people and as a city. Uh, they actually used to be a quite prosperous city who um, was pretty prosperous in trade and travel. 
Um, they, they neighbor Ephesus and Laodicea. Uh, we know Paul wrote a letter to Ephesus. Uh, and then we also hear Laodicea mentioned in Revelation. Um, but after some changes in the, trades route, the trade routes with the Romans, well, they, the, the Roman roads of trade, they just kind of dissipated and just became um, just a, a minuscule a market city. Um, we, we find the Colossians in, in modern, in the city of Colossae in, in modern-day Turkey today. But more in the sense of the reason for the letter, um, Paul was writing this letter because we heard mention of Epaphras in verse 7. Um, Epaphras brings a report back to Paul about the Colossian church. And there's a couple things that Paul heard that were concerning to him. One, it was this, uh, some false teaching that could possibly be in the, Col- the Colossian church at this time or coming to the Colossian church. Um, these teachings, were, of course, were false. Um, is things like asceticism, where what that means is that the physical body is evil and that only the spiritual matters. Um, so we must punish the physical body and suffer because of the physical body. And then Paul, that's in chapter 2, verses 20 and 23. And then also in chapter 2, verses 8, Paul mentions a deceptive philosophy that is creeping into the Colossian church. But here's the, but here's the problem with that. Paul writes this letter because he presents the gospel to them afresh. Because he wants them to remember their glorious hope, which is the gospel. He's not giving them a new gospel, but he's preaching to them the same gospel that Epaphras brought them when he did. And this leads me into, it just made me think about something in my life. So uh, I, like to, I like to road cycle. I don't do any more, not very often, thanks to my daughter, but she's far worth, it's, it's, it's totally fine. Um, but I was actually given a road bike by uh, one of Megan and I's best friend's father, it's a really old, I think it was, the frame was built in 89. Yeah, it it's, looks like mustard and ketchup. It's red and yellow. Um, it's a Cannondale bike. It works well. Uh, it's old, but it works well. So I don't know if you know this about me, but I get really caught up in like, uh, if I get into a hobby, like I get into the hobby. So it's like, I, I, I get a free bike, and the ungratefulness of my heart, I'm like, yo, I need a new bike. Like two months after I get after I get that. I'm like, I need a new bike. So I obsess over it, and I obsess over it, and I obsess over it. And I, all the time, I'm putting miles on this bike, and it's doing exactly what it needs to do. Every pedal stroke, it's there. It's taking me up every climb that I need to go up. It's taking me down every hill that I need to go down. But still, I still need this new bike. I need something new. I need something more. I got the new bike. It was cool. But it's not really what I wanted. It's not really what I needed, so I sold it two weeks later, and I lost $100 on it. And it just made me think of this, church, what a picture of this is, is that we have the gospel, and it's our glorious hope, and we don't need anything more, even if it sounds better, or if it looks cooler, or if it doesn't cause us as much work. But that's what Paul's getting in that. So it brings me to my first point. This is verses 1 through 8. The first point is the outworking of our glorious hope. So if you notice in, in, in verse 1, Paul says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother. See, Paul grounds his initial letter, or his greeting, in his apostolic authority. But more importantly, look what he says in verse 2. 
to the saints in Christ at Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. More importantly than his apostolic authority is that he is writing to the saints in Colossae who are in Christ. Christ or Paul identifies himself with these believers, that they are a family. And then verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. This brother is always praying for the Colossians. We will see this over and over and over again, that he models how to constantly and consistently pray for one another. But notice who he's thanking. He's thanking God. For, he's thanking God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when, they pray, when he prays for them. Why? Because Paul knows that what he's about to explain and what he's heard and encouraged about them is done because of the Father. But also just notice the mindfulness of him. He was constantly thinking of them because he deeply cares and loves for them. And I think that that's one of the reasons for Paul's prayer or what Paul is thanking God for. I think one of those reasons of what we'll get into their faith and their love is because it's been modeled by Paul and Epaphras for constant mindfulness and constant prayer. In verse 4, he says, For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. So Paul is so encouraged to hear about this church that's been uh, planted uh, and ministered to faithfully by Epaphras, and he's encouraged to hear of the great faith that they have. I, I would love to, for someone to be like, yo, Pastor Jesse, your church new breed, great faith. I'd be like, praise the Lord, that's what's up, I'm so glad to hear it. But, but think about this too, though, it's like, I'm here, I know you, uh, you know me, but Paul makes it clear in chapter 2 that he's actually never been to, to Colossae. He's never been around these believers. So how does he hear about this? Well, one, logically, it's, it's from Epaphras, who Paul gets this report back to. But don't you think that they're putting feet to that faith? They're working that faith out. They're doing things with the faith. They're not just holding it and just chilling, but they're doing things with their faith. Because, I mean, this wasn't a time where Paul could just be searching on YouTube. Whoever's preaching at Colossians that day, let's check out the sermon, right? They had to be doing things. But he leads us there in verse 4. How did, they, how did they outwork their faith? What was the practical outworking? Notice he says this. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all of the saints. That's the mean rate. That's the main practical outworking. They're not only marked by their faith, but they are marked for the love that they have for all of the saints. Remember what our Savior Jesus said in John 13, 34 through 35. Let me read it to your hearing. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciple. If you... By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So these faithful saints in Colossae are not, known great, not just known for their great faith, but for the love that they have for one another. And people are noticing this because Jesus says when we have love for one another, that's how people will know that they are his disciples. Why? Because it's a different type of love. It's a burden-bearing love. It's a deep love. It's different than just any, 
it's different than just your friend or your coworker at work. Um, why? Because we are in Christ together. There is a different relationship. Listen to what Solomon Andrea writes in, in the quote on this commentary. He says, The fraternal ties between Paul and the Colossians are stronger than blood ties. They transcend ethnicity, race, and social status. Paul and Timothy may be different from these brothers and sisters in many ways, but in Christ they form one family. And the same holds true for the, for the relationship among the Colossian believers themselves. As brothers, they see their primary identity is in Christ. It is only secondary that they are of various origins and different social classes that are found in any, any other major cities. And this points back to verse 2, where Paul says, to the, to the saints in Christ. Church, this is the motivation for our love. It's not because you like this dude or you like that dude or you all get along, you like soccer, you like whatever you like. It's much better than that. It's because of what Christ has done for us. Because let me remind you that just as I was, you were once far off, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Just as everyone in this room, I pray, has, that, that is our love. It's not because we're the same. Also, think about this. Think about, the, think about all, of, all of the differences in this world. Ethnicity, social status, whatever. And think about all the division that comes along with this. But look at the power of the gospel that can take people who are different, and God has made them different for his glory. And there is real fellowship and real family because of Christ. Lord, may you be praised. That is good news. And church, let me just paint this picture for you in a very real sense in my life. So I moved to Louisville in 2015 um, to go to Boys. I think Newbury was the third church that I had visited since I've been here. Um, but when I came to Newbury, so this is when we were still in the Shawnee, we were still meeting at Shawnee uh, High School. And when I came to Newbury, I came with a couple of friends that knew Elizabeth. Um, and the thing that struck me that was, I just felt was really different about Newbreed is like when I came, people were like, hey, like, why are you here? Who are you? What's your name? What do you do? Like, we are so glad that you were here. I felt loved. And I don't even know these people. And then after becoming, um, but yeah, so I, I mean, I can specifically remember Deshaun asking me personal questions that showed that he cared and that he was happy that I was here. Church, it is a desire of my heart that New Breed will be known. And I think that we do a really good job for loving one another. I really do. I think that we serve each other well, but it is a desire of my heart that we will love each other well. And, but what, what do we do with, with that love? What, what does that mean? If we, are, if we are one family in Christ, what does that mean? It means that our faith is not meant to be solitary. It's not meant to just be worked out by ourselves, right? You cannot fully work out your faith without the Lord Jesus' bride. And that is for your good. Because I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life where you have isolated yourself from community. It usually doesn't turn out well. And praise God that he has his church here. Your faith demands that you work it out with a collective community of, of believers. Not only does it demand it, your faith expects it. 
The church is core to our faith. We must love the church. Let me be clear. It doesn't mean that you can't disagree with how decisions are made. Or we know that the, the church is full of sinners. We know that there are problems, right? It doesn't mean that we ignore those problems. It doesn't mean that we don't address those problems. But we love the church because Christ loves the church. We love the church because of Christ's sacrifice. It has brought us together in one family. But how do we cultivate this love for one another? Firstly, I think that we just be real with one another. To love someone, you have to know someone. So what does that look like practically? Very practically for us. We have a community group that meets almost every night of the week. So when you're in that time and brothers and sisters are asking you, hey, yo, what are you struggling with? We trust the spirit that God has placed those around us to care and love for us that are in the same family and is saying, oh, I've just been struggling with lust. We say, brother, I am addicted to pornography. I need help. We, we are real with one another. Or we say, I am unsure about my job at this time. I don't know what to do. We trust one another because we trust the spirit in each other. We are real with one another. We share with one another. We serve one another. We model Christ Jesus' love for us as we love one another. But let, me, let me move on to verse 5. What is behind this faith and this love? Paul tells us in verse 5, he says, Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel. That's what, behind, that's what is behind their faith and love. That's how it's sustainable. Because we have hope that is laid up for us in heaven. And we heard of this hope from where? The word of truth, the gospel. The gospel is the bedrock. The gospel is the foundation of our hope. It is the foundation of our lives. Remember the context of where this is being written or why it's being written. Because there are teachings that are possibly coming into the Colossian church that can sway them from their hope in the gospel. Because it's only by the power of the gospel that they have great faith and they love one another and they stay steadfast in the, in the gospel. But for something to be hope in, it has to be real and, and to be tangible. Listen to what Alistair, Alistair Wilson says on verse 5. He says, hope is not to be understood here as a subjective experience of as an objective experience of the part of the Colossian church. Rather, it is an objective reality when he's talking about laid up for you in heaven. Paul's not only reminding them to, to not forget the hope that they have, but to remember what the object of the hope is. And our hope is laid up for us in heaven. And this is the basis of their faith. And this is the basis of their love for one another. Nothing else, not their ability, not their likes, not their dislikes, not what they're good at, not what they enjoy, the gospel. And not only is the gospel, or not only is just the gospel itself foundational to our lives, but the outworkings and the implications of the gospel. So church, if we ever think that we can get away from the basics of the gospel, we've missed it. We've missed it. 
if we ever think that we graduate to something new or better, we've lost our hope. Church, we always need to be reminded of the gospel. I know that there are some times where I think to myself, and I'll just be straight up with you. It's like, man, I have heard this so many times before. Even when I was writing this, I'm like, I, am, I know that Pastor Michael or whoever else has, has said this before. I know this. But our hearts are prone to wonder. Listen to what Moses says in, in Deuteronomy 32. Take heart to, this is so, let me give context for this. I know, I'm sorry, I always talk about Deuteronomy, I'm sorry. He says this, he says, this is right before Moses dies and he's with Israel in the wilderness before he's about to, uh, they're about to enter the promised land. And he's recounting the law to them and he says, take to heart all these words I'm giving you as a warning to you today so that you command your children to follow all these words of this law carefully. For they are not meaningless words to you but they are your very life. And again in Psalm 1, how happy is the one who walks not in the advice of the wicked or stands in the pathway of sinners or sits in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. So for us to cultivate this faith and this love, we have to constantly be reminded of our hope that is in the gospel. And we constantly have to remind ourselves of the gospel, so we take it to heart, knowing that these words are not meaningless, but that they're our very lives. And we meditate on that on day and night. And how much is that paired with community? Because I need you to remind me of the gospel. You need each other to remind you of the gospel. And again, and, and, and then to verse 6, he says, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. That it is the gospel. Just as, just, has it, just as it has among you since the day you heard it, it came to truly appreciate God's grace. So how did the Colossians come to know the gospel? It was taken to them, yeah? It was. In verse 7, he tells us that Epaphras was a faithful minister to them, who brought it to them along other ministers. But what does that mean for us? Because they received, because Epaphras had received the gospel and he's taking, to, he's taking it to the Colossian church. So what does that mean for us? To remind ourselves of the gospel, we take the gospel. We go with the gospel. Where to? To the store, to the grocery store, to Kroger, to the record store, to the park. Wherever it is you like to go, the gospel goes with you because we have, to, we have to fight this idea that the gospel is just an add-on to who we are, right? Like, once we hear the gospel, it doesn't just become something that I add to a list of who I am. No, that becomes who I am. Remember who Paul wrote this to? To the saints in Christ, right? We are in Christ. It is who we are, and all the implications of the gospel become who we are. And we know that we're called to take that gospel. But here's the encouragement behind that, for me at least, when I I think about taking the gospel to other people. Paul tells us, what what is the gospel doing in verse 6? It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. Just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Why is it bearing fruit? Because it doesn't depend on you. It didn't depend on Epaphras. It doesn't depend on the Colossians. I'm preaching ahead of myself, but so I'll say that for a little bit. But my main point is 
in evangelism, it's not about the, the specific words that you say. Now, we present the gospel faithfully, yes. But it doesn't depend on you. Somebody doesn't get saved because of your great words. Somebody gets saved because of the power of the gospel, that we are unashamed because it's the power of God. So think about, think about that person who brought the gospel to you. Picture who they are. Think about the impact that they had on your life. Church cries us to call, calls us to be the, that person to other people. We can't just keep the gospel to ourselves. It is too great to keep to someone else. I remember, I remember, but I can't remember who it was, but I just remember someone saying when we were discussing evangelism, I don't remember where it was, but it was really good, so I'm going to tell you. And I'm trying to give them credit. I didn't say it. I just can't remember who it was. But we were talking about in terms of giving the gospel to the broken world, and he said, you know, if one of my family members was sick, and I had been sick with the same sickness, and I got this medicine from a doctor and it made me feel a lot better. It did exactly what I needed it to do. He said, don't you think that I would love my family member enough to share with them what saved me? I'm so thankful for the brothers and sisters who faithfully preached the gospel to me. Even when I sat in church for 16 years and heard the gospel, but as Paul tells us, I had not come to truly appreciate God's grace. And we thank God that it doesn't depend on us. So as we recount the, the faith and the love that the Colossians had and what that means for us, if we're honest with ourselves, especially coming off a series of rest, that seems like a lot of work. It, it does. That's what I was, when I read that, I was like, dang, Michael's just telling us to rest. And it's like, now you want me to do all this stuff? Like, how is that sustainable? How do, how do those two fit together? I already gave you a hint, but let me move on to my next point. Oh, and there's only two points, so you're welcome. <laughs> Ver, uh, chapter, or sorry, point two. This is the reality of our glorious hope. This is verses 9 through 14. So Paul initially, again, I'm just so marked. In verse 19, listen, or sorry, verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, so he's hearing of their faith and their love, we haven't stopped praying for you. Remember what Paul said in, in 1 Thessalonians 5? Pray constantly, giving thanks in everything. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Yo, this brother models this. Like he, he, he's always praying. And not, is he, not only is he always praying, he is thinking about those whom he loves. God, help us to do that. I think when we, and, but what I think too is he knows that prayer works. He knows that God moves, so he consistently does it. Anyway, sorry. He, he's showing us the feet of this instruction to, to pray constantly uh, and consistently. But see, look at what he's asking the Lord to do. Verse 9, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So Paul kind of gives a formula here. First, he's asking the Lord to give them wisdom and knowledge and spiritual understanding. Why is this important? Well, I think a lot of times 
Uh, as someone who went to Bible college, it was always, we were just always, it was drilled into our head, hey, you're not here for knowledge. You're not here just to know things. Because I think one of the reasons that they reminded us of that is what we'll get to in verse 10. But initially, we need the knowledge of God's will. We need spiritual understanding. Alistair Wilson, again, is helpful here. He said, yet Paul also recognizes that, the, that more than knowledge is required. The adjective spiritual should not be interpreted vaguely as synonymous for religious, but rather as a reference to the activity of the Spirit of God. See, church, it's not here of just we are just gaining knowledge, right? Because we see, excuse me, we see the Spirit also working and giving us and imparting to us this wisdom, excuse me, and spiritual understanding. So it's a knowledge of the scriptures, but it's also the Spirit illuminating and showing us the scriptures and giving us the wisdom and spiritual understanding that we need. For what? Verse 10, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. So we need this to walk out faithfully to the Lord. I want to remind you of what Proverbs 1.7 says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Oh, excuse me, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and understanding. See, Paul gives us a formula that we understand the will of God through the Spirit that we may produce good works that we bear fruit in. See, again, we must know the Lord to love him. We must know the Lord to see what he requires of us to walk faithfully in our daily lives. But it's interesting what he talks about in bearing fruit in every good work. Because remember, let me remind you what Ephesians 2 says. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of, your, and this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. See, we're, it's, it's not about gaining this wisdom so that we can boast in this knowledge. No, it's not enough for that. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to, or ahead of time for us to do. See, the Lord has caused us, or the Lord has created these good works for us to walk out, in which I might make a case from the sense of maybe that it has something to do with how we love one another. Maybe that it has something to do with how we share and work out our faith with each other. But again, as I was reading this, this is because of my American self, when I was reading nine through 10, I thought about, okay, this is something that I have to do. I have to read the word with the Spirit's help, of course, but this is something that I have to do. And yes, there is personal responsibility in that. But you see, I wasn't viewing that and me growing in that in light of you and you helping me to do that. And I wasn't viewing that in me helping you to do that, right? Because Paul's writing to the Colossians, not a Colossian, right? It's for us. It's for us, for us to cultivate, for us to grow in together. To bear good fruits in every good work. So, but again, we have to ask ourselves, how is this sustainable? Let's look at verse 11 together. It's sustainable because it's the only way that we are sustained from the beginning of time to the end of time. It's always been the same. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might 
so that you may have great endurance and patience joyfully. We endure because we are strengthened by his great mind, by the Lord's great mind. Think about where Paul's writing to the Colossians. He's in jail. I don't know what jail was like back then. It probably wasn't fun. It probably wasn't easy. He probably didn't have his own cell where he was doing whatever he wanted to do, right? This letter is written in suffering. But what's the hope? It's the gospel. Just as it always is. It's his glorious mind. Verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. And then verse um, 13, he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. Church, that is good news for us this morning. That is good news. But he has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son whom he loves. He has rescued us. What do we need rescued for? What, 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 why? So you're telling me that we're in a kingdom of darkness already? Absolutely. Let's look at Ephesians 2 again. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in disobedience. We all too previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of the flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children of wrath as as others were also. Church, it's not because of you that you're not in the domain of darkness anymore. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the same God who parted the Red Sea and brought Israel out of Egypt. It's never not been the Lord. It's never not been the Lord. In verse 14, as I bring this to a close, in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Church, what else do we need? What else do we need this morning? But let's not forget in verse 14, he says, in him. In who? The son whom he loves, right? So what does that mean for us practically? That means that you can stop trying to work your way into heaven. It's not dependent upon you. But church, what is even better news is because I don't know about you, but there are some times and some situations in my life where I've just been like, well, not sure how I'm going to get out of this one. Uh, I don't know what's really going on with my job right now. I'm not sure how I'm going to provide for my family. Lord, I'm not sure what you're going to do. Or, man, I just don't know about all this. Like, I've been struggling with this same sin for so many years, and I just don't see how I'm going to get out of it. When we lose hope in the gospel... But here's the good news, church. Even when we lose hope in the gospel, the gospel's still the gospel. The gospel doesn't need your hope to be the gospel. Church, as we bring this to a close, the gospel is our glorious hope. The faithfulness of the Lord to sustain, to rescue, and to deliver his people, that is our hope. And I want to remind you of a story. Again, I don't know what's going on with me. I just can't remember stuff right now. But it was from a movie I saw. I'm sure that you, it was a Christmas movie. All right. And at the end of it, if you remember, please let me know because I want to know what it is. But at the, at the ending of it, the climax of the movie 
It was all about, oh, there was like this meter, I think. Or maybe I'm just making this up. But there was like this meter, and it was like Christmas spirit, right? It's October, so Christmas is basically here. But there was this meter, and it was like Christmas spirit. And I don't know if like all the presents couldn't be delivered, or Christmas just, Christmas just couldn't be a thing until everybody believed or everybody had enough hope. Does that ring a bell? Like, is that, it's Elf? Are you serious? Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right, gotcha. All right, so Elf, yeah, there we go. But do you remember that part? Hey, praise God that our salvation is not like that. Praise God that the promises of God that he gave to Israel and that he has given to us, it's not like that. Because who are, those, who are, those, who are the promises of God? And where do they find their yes and amen? In Jesus. In Jesus. That is our glorious hope. Is the fact that God is exactly who he says he is. And he will always be exactly who he says he is. So the implications of the gospel are always based on the faithfulness of the Lord. So that means for you, you could have had the best week. You could have had the hardest week. You could have quit your job. You could have got a new job. And the implications of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus is faithful today, yesterday, and forever. Let's pray. Oh, God. Where else do we go for you have the words of life? Help us to love you. Help us to trust you, God. Lord, thank you for sustaining us. Lord, you are good. Father, I pray that if there is someone here who is in that domain of darkness and they're thinking, that's not me. I don't have that hope. I don't have the gospel Oh, God, as we give them a time to respond, will you save them, Lord? May you become their glorious hope. God, thank you for keeping us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.